Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being here with me today. It's Friday. First day of May. Got a good show lined up for you here today. Yesterday was draft day in the Canadian Football League, and the BC Lions made the move to trade up from the number three overall pick all the way up to number one, where they took linebacker Jordan Williams. I'll be joined by CFL broadcaster and former Rough Riders linebacker Glenn Suter to break down some of that. We'll talk draft. We'll also talk a little bit about the CFL's plea for some financial assistance, so that's going to be coming up shortly. And to end off today's show, I'm going to be joined by the Parks and Civic Facilities Manager for the City of Kamloops, Jeff Putnam. We're just going to talk a little bit about some renovations work that's going on at the Sandman Center. Not a whole lot there, but definitely some interesting stuff still nonetheless. But to begin today's show, well, I wanted to talk about what's going on with our local business community and the work that Venture Kamloops is doing to help support business owners here in our city. On Tuesday, it presented to council about its three-stage strategy for COVID-19 support, and I'm joined on the line now by the executive director for Venture Kamloops, Jim Anderson. Jim, how are you doing today? Good, how are you, Jeff? Good, thank you so much. Um, so you went over this strategy, which, of course, like I said, has three stages to it. The initial stage being information and planning, second stage planning and implementation, and the third stage implementation and delivery. So I just wanted to see if uh, you could start by maybe giving me a, a very quick summary, which might be a, a bit of a difficult question to ask. But, you know, what exactly does this strategy involve and where are you in that process? Sure. We, we really needed, um, for us, we're very process oriented organization and when we're working with businesses we we develop step by steps and processes and we needed that for us i felt um to to bring some order to uh, the way we applied ourselves to the current situation so we started with the the initial stage which was essentially defined by um the, the initial lockdown and, and direction from health authorities that things would be shutting down and, and movement would be restricted and businesses would be closing and, and that brought about the, the dire financial consequences that we're seeing now. The second stage, and I'll give you the briefest sort of description that I can, the second stage is where um, we believe that the, the, the closures and, and the rapidly changing um, information of the initial stage has, has leveled off somewhat, and we're able to turn our attention to preparing for the middle stages where, we're, where we are now, where we're day-to-day going through um, the pandemic closures uh, and looking forward to that day when things can begin to open up. And during this time, we also want to start preparing so that when we get to the stage where things are are ready to open up and government programs for funding and relief payments and those types of things come to an end and businesses are on their own, that they're ready to stand on their own. Okay. Now, one of the things that uh, stood out to me, too, during this uh, presentation to council was you talked about this VK Accelerate program, which helps businesses get into their first brick-and-mortar location, and you had mentioned you were sort of trying to adapt that program to a post-COVID-19 world, and, you know, you said you're in the very early stages, but I just wanted to kind of get a a quick sense from you of sort of where you are with that, because, uh, you know, it's really probably hard to determine what businesses are going to look like when they're trying to open up shop here in the not-too-distant future. I mean, where, where are you in sort of adapting that program right now? Well, we, it's it's an ongoing process. We, we have offered the program, Jeff, and you know, it's 
it's really interesting. Normally, when we we run programs and the uptake from the business community is is great, then um, we 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 know that things are going well and and people are looking to expand or change their business or or or, or move forward. But in this case, um, the uptake has been great. Um, but it's in a different situation. We know that businesses are, are looking to programs to help them because times are tough. Um, so what we've done with the VQ Venture Advisor Program, our initial, our initial thought was that we would open up the intake, uh, have businesses do the pre-work and then go into the program. But we, we've had um, so many applicants that we've actually introduced a, a graduated sort of step-by-step um, program of pre-work before we get to the VK Venture Advisors because we found that some businesses are able to use the planning tools that we can provide, get themselves to a point where they have a good understanding of where they are, um, they have an idea of how they can apply themselves when the post-COVID world is, is introduced and uh, they're able to kind of to prepare from themselves from then on. And then we have others who need to go further and we'll, we'll continue to work with them and then we'll put them in front of the panel. So we now have a number of business, and I'm sorry, I don't have exact numbers for you, but the numbers keep changing by the day here. Um, but we are starting our first panel discussions uh, early next week. So we have a number of businesses that have completed the pre-work. The panels are reviewing the pre-work, and they'll be going into that process next week. Okay, and that sort of follows up on uh, the conversation we had last week where you were talking about these new tools that we're putting out there to try and help businesses navigate through COVID-19 and, and you know, learn some of the programs that they would be available to them. And then, of course, you had mentioned this uh, this panel review process as well that was going to be a big part of this moving forward. And you, you have mentioned, I mean, you said you can't give specific numbers, but clearly the uh, interest in that program has been pretty... I don't know if overwhelming would be the word, but pretty pretty steady so far. Well, let's put it this way. I don't know all of the numbers off the top of my head, but I do know this because it was a nice round number. I can tell you that in, in normal times, we do nine of these panels a year. On Tuesday of this week, we had 20 applicants. So the, the demand has, has exponentially increased. Um, the great thing is that we, we've had help from uh, from our board, from the VK Venture Advisor panels, providing us with input on planning tools and um, planning documents and all the information that we believe we need to, to keep these conversations moving for these businesses because they need they need to know that they're on the right track. They they need to have some some confirmation that the things that they're doing are putting them in a position to recover uh, when we get to that point. So we have, uh, there's all, we, there's an, any number of array, uh, there's an array of, of um, tools that we have, but what I would say, if, if you are a business owner and you, you, you're within the sound of my voice, I would encourage you to go to venturecounts.com. There's a, there's a, uh, a block of big red buttons on the homepage and one is request a meeting, click that, and there's three or four preliminary questions to, to answer and then we'll call you back and we can start working on on helping you with a plan to, to get through to the post uh, virus world. How, how confident are you then at Venture Camlips to be able to meet this demand? I mean, it's clearly a lot higher than normal. I mean, are you confident that you can uh, really be able to, to get in and, and have these one-on-ones with these businesses? And, and I mean, just there's so many that seem to be coming forward, right? You mentioned you usually have nine a year while you had 20 applicants yep. just this, this week. I mean, can you guys meet that demand right now? We Right now, we can. 
Um, we're we're continuing to um, you know retool and revamp how we're approaching things to make sure that we're we're certainly like I should go back a little bit, Jeff, and say you know they're the core one of the core functions of an economic development department is business retention and expansion, mm-hmm. and the, everything that we're talking about right now is, falls squarely into business retention. Right, and the, the the basis of a successful retention program is is relationships and one on one mentoring and support for businesses. That one on one support and mentoring is definitely condensed in this situation. However, if we we have the basis for good tools and good advice. We can we can deliver those in in different forms. Um, business businesses can still realize the benefit. And this is a longer process. So as as we get as, as things become clearer to us of how things are going to be after after we open up and that kind of thing, there are many businesses who will have done sufficient planning and they're okay to go. There will be some who are met with very favorable circumstances. Things may pop back for them there. And there are others who may be thrown a curveball and we need to to continue on with them. But the the different levels of support that are needed and what we're able to deliver, I think, allows us our our effectiveness is still is still going to be there. One thing, too, I, I wanted to follow up on, because you had mentioned this during your, your Tuesday presentation, um, yeah. that on Monday, you had you had spoken with a business owner who said basically that they were done. They were ready to give up. They were ready to close up shop and not even try to recover from this COVID-19 situation. You were able yep. to at least change their mind and, and not necessarily wave the right white flag just yet, but try to give it another go, see if you, know, you guys can help work mm-hmm. through this process. Are you hearing of more and more of these kinds of stories where small business owners are just saying, look, you know, it's a month month and a half into this thing now and I just don't see a way I can come out of it you know what I would say that we, we have heard that but um, far more frequently we're hearing from business owners yeah we're a month and a half into this I really want to figure out a way to get through it there 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 are some you know and of course everybody's personal circumstances are different but by, by and large business owners are are um, rolling up their sleeves and giving every effort they can to get through and get back to a point um, where their business is successful again. It's, it's, there, there's really, there's no comparison between the two numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, and you know, when I, we talk about a business owner that was really kind of, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of pressures on everyone uh, during this and, and they pile up and sometimes you just need, you just need um, a good night's sleep and a clear head to, to, sort of relook at the, the nuts and bolts of your business, get a handle on things and start thinking forward again. It's it's so understandable to get to that point where you just go, I just can't do this anymore. But that's where we, we try and um, just focus the efforts on the business itself and let the business owner take care of, of all the other stuff that they need to so if we can lighten some of that burden and help them get to the next the next step i don't think you know the economic uh, the economic development department in a, in a community like this is not going to be the difference between whether a business can financially make it or not but we want to give the business owner every opportunity they can to recover 
Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense as well. I mean, that's probably where, where businesses are feeling, right? How can they recover from this more than anything else? Um, so yeah. you're just kind of stepping, helping them walk through that process of... Yeah, because ultimately the, the decisions they make on their business are going to be between them, um, the stakeholders in their business, and, yeah. and their accountants and their, their bankers. So that those decisions are beyond the scope of what we can offer. Right. But if we can help business owners get to the point where they... They have a clear understanding of where their business is at. They know what they're good at. They have, they've considered ideas on how they can deliver their, their product or service in a changing world. Then they're, they're set up to have those, those discussions with the people who can help them make the final decisions. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you so much for your time here today. really do appreciate it. Okay, Jeff, take care. That was Jim Anderson, Executive Director of Venture Camlopes. And I know how important small business is to our economy, and I am polling here for everybody. I'm hoping you all can get through this and get back in business. And I, I personally am looking forward to being able to help support those businesses who are unable to be open right now. I look to be able to support them in the future, and I'm sure all Kamloopsians are feeling the same way. Well, let's take a quick break here. And coming up, I'll be chatting CFL Draft. TSN's Glenn Suter will be joining me next, so stick around, and the Jeff Andrea Show will be right back. to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here today on Friday. Yesterday, it was CFL Draft Day, and I'm joined on the phone now by TSN CFL analyst and former Rough Riders linebacker, Glenn Suter. Glenn, how you doing today? Well, I'm doing well. I hope everyone is is doing their part in isolation as we all try to, uh, you know, do our part for the medical staff in our country and around the world. And uh, I, I can say honestly that I, I picked up wine for the month for the second time this week. So that's how I'm <laughs> that's how I'm coping. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear you on that one. I feel like when they first told us, you know, we might be isolating for two weeks. Well, I think three times in those two weeks I bought booze for two weeks so that's the way it's going you know <laughs> yeah that's the old saying right so you know what it's uh, other generations that have gone through you know crisis and this is a crisis let's not mistake it that other generations have had to make much greater sacrifices um you know it's tragic with these deaths but uh you know i i think i'm trying to stay optimistic and positive i've never cheered for or been thankful for medical people and scientists more in my life than i have over the last couple of months and i'm gonna i'm gonna think positively that they're gonna find an answer to this and I'm, I'm reading articles about possibly September there might be a vaccine if it's fast-tracked. And so we've got, you know, the greatest minds and a lot of money directed towards finding a, a, an answer, a vaccine or, or at least a therapeutic that makes it less devastating. Yeah, well, we all hope that, uh, you know, things can start to ease here sooner than later. And right. uh, especially, you know, for guys like myself and yourself as well, big sports fans and, you know, probably dying a little bit inside not being able to watch uh, any sports on TV. Obviously, there's more important things in the world. But uh, last night, I mean, we saw the CFL draft. And, you know, normally a draft isn't something that gets me out of my seat. But these days, I mean, we got to take what we can get. Yeah, exactly. You know, especially the Canadian college draft, it or the CFL draft, I should say, with Canadian college players, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've said for years now that the Canadian college draft and the CFL is absolutely crucial to success 
on the field. You have to have a strong core of Canadian talent in the Canadian Football League to win championships. You just, it's so important, and yet the draft is not very sexy mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's, you know, this year the BC Lions took a quarterback in the second round, and, you know, that's, that doesn't happen very often, although last year Michael O'Connor that played at UBC went in the third round. He was the 20th pick in last year's draft. He's now a Toronto Argonaut. And so, you know, we're seeing that Canadian colleges, guys that are Canadians that go down and play in American colleges, are are playing at a level high enough that this is these aren't these aren't picks that that teams are are making for PR. They're they're picks because these players have have shown that they can play against the top college players in the in the uh, U.S. and that they're capable of learning a system at the pro level and becoming a starting quarterback. And that's why Michael O'Connor is currently with the Argos and why the Lions drafted Nathan Rourke. Yeah, and, and I want to get into to Nathan as well. I mean, the Lions had the number one overall pick, but since you brought up Nathan Rourke, we'll start there. Um, yeah. you know, he ties Jesse Palmer as the highest quarterback ever taken in the CFL draft at number 15 overall, so a sixth pick in the second round. Um, he is a Canadian. I mean, just what is your analysis here? Just because when I look at the Lions, right, and I see they have Mike Riley in place, he's got three years left on his contract. I understand he's 35 years old, but for a team that's really seemingly desperate for talent, um, you know, it didn't feel like a quarterback was a position of need for them well it's not i mean they they need to protect mike better i I think they'd need to add a receiver or two to the lineup whether that's an import or canadian to help mike riley out as well uh you know you look at their quarterback stable you got brandon bridge again another canadian quarterback uh daniel bryan who is sort of a veteran journeyman and and grant kramer and I thought Grant played pretty well in his very limited action and game action last year and until he hurt his knee and you know I, I think he showed a spark and he showed that he might have a real good upside so so that's interesting but you know, I, I think with the draft this year for the Lions, they, they sort of sprinkled around the entire team. They took a D lineman, they took an O lineman, a receiver, a running back, a couple of linebackers, including that first pick, and then that quarterback. And if you're picking number 15 and you're taking Nathan Rourke, you're believing that he can compete for the number two spot, learn the system, and move in. You know, it's... It's it's interesting to me over the years that I've been involved, which now is is adding up quickly. It's over 30 years now that I've been directly involved with the CFL, and and it, it's interesting to me that, and and I I believe it to be true that a Canadian quarterback in the CFL does not benefit by from being Canadian, and it's the only position, and it's the most important position on the field, mm-hmm. and. And, you know, I, I honestly believe, and I'm going to choose to believe, that coaches in the past have fairly evaluated all of their players, including quarterbacks, including Canadian quarterbacks. But I I honestly think there is a, a bit of, of prejudging, uh, you know, that coaches that generally are trained and come from the U.S., and as soon as you have that maple leaf as a quarterback – you know, on your arm, it it somehow taints the way they are evaluating. And I, I'm not going to say that's a blanket statement. I think it's changing. Um, you know, I I hope and want to believe that at the end of the day, when Canadian quarterbacks go into camp, 
they either are good enough or they're not. And if they're not good enough, they get cut like anybody else. And that's, that's supposed to happen. That's got to happen. Mm-hmm. But if Michael O'Connor can play, and all I've heard from this UBC kid is that, from coaches in Toronto, is that he's the real deal, that he can learn and he can play if given the opportunity. And, and maybe Nathan Rourke falls into that category. He's a good athlete. He could play in different packages. Um, and he played top, you know, he played at a, at a real high level in the U.S. college game and, and against real good competition. So I hope they just give him a fair shake is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, well, if you're going to draft a, a guy in the second round, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you have some plans to at least give him that opportunity. Or yeah, absolutely. Hope so. um, now, with that being said, I did want to get into the number one overall pick. I mean, the BC Lions made the move from number three to the number one spot. Uh, they took linebacker Jordan Williams. He's uh, 27 years old, which seems uh, pretty old to me when talking about draft-eligible players. I know he spent some time bouncing around the NFL on practice squads and things like that. Um, just what is your analysis of this pick? I mean, 5'11", 219. Sounds like he could be a, a good disruptor um, when talking about the pass game and the pass rush. I mean, what, what do you what do you make of this guy? And he seemed like someone that was obviously uh, being touted around the league here. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when you talk to to coaches and general managers across the league, and and some of our experts at TSN, uh, Jordan Williams was the number one guy in a lot of their lists. So, uh, you know, the Lions traded up to get him, and and they believe I think that he can transition very quickly and become a starter very quickly. In the meantime, he can play on all the teams because the linebacker body on the cover teams is very important. So, you know, he he seems to have and check all the boxes and have all the ability and and um, you know versatility I guess to to play in a lot of positions on defense I, I think that's an area where the Lions had to improve Canadian uh, you know their Canadian side uh, you look at their linebacking core and D-line their defense in general ranked kind of in the middle of the pack this is a five-win team uh, they're getting a little bit older with Odell Willis and and Sean Lemon up front in the import position so to add a, a, a linebacker at 27 so he's mature more mature than a kid coming straight out of college you know at sort of the normal age mm-hmm. um, and and so he's more mature and can probably make the transition quicker because of it uh, you know I think it's a great pick it's it's you know I, I think that you know when you when you talk about football drafts Tom Brady ruined it for experts. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the, in the NFL, Tom Brady going sixth, 199th overall in 2000 and becoming maybe the greatest, I think, the greatest quarterback of all time uh, in, in the National Football League. I, you know, I think he kind of ruined it for predictions when it comes to drafts. But, you know, I, I think you, you, when you draft a linebacker, uh, a great athlete you can use him in so many ways as he's learning to take the next step to the pro level and i think jordan williams is a good pick i I am going to be all eyes though in training camp if we can get there hopefully this year at some point uh on nathan rourke i I really am I, i think this kid is an intriguing player an athletic quarterback can make all the throws um coming in with the right attitude wants to prove himself as far as all the interviews I've seen and heard, and uh, I'm going to be all eyes on him. I, I, I hope that these Canadian guys keep working hard and find their opportunity like O'Connor, Brandon Bridge, and, and Rourke.
Uh, uh, we're kind of uh, coming up on some time here, uh, Suits, but I did yeah. want to ask a little bit, too, about uh, just sort of what the state of the league is right now. I've seen some interviews with uh, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi basically not even entertaining the thought that uh, the CFL won't get that $30 million in immediate assistance. And uh, I just, just when I hear something like that, uh, it kind of has me a little bit concerned. When I hear someone say, well, I don't even want to think about us not getting that money, um, doesn't that throw up some red flags at all for you? Well, yeah, it is. It is a tremendous concern. It is a tremendous concern. And let's take uh, just the the sports end of it out of the equation for a second. I mean, the CFL is a medium-sized business in our country that employs thousands of Canadians. When you think of the the game day staffs, the the food and beverage uh, employees, um, you know, a lot of people across this country are relying on the Canadian Football League. Not to mention the tax dollars that are paid back from clubs to government uh, at different levels for stadiums and for the construction of some of the stadiums and some of the loans that have been made that have to be paid back and will over time. You know, that's a that's an awful lot of revenue uh, that that will be lost if if the game you know disappears. So. You know, I, I think there's a couple things going on right now. One is that, that in, in, a, in an attempt for Randy Ambrosi to be transparent and upfront, he talked about the worst-case scenario and what is needed in the short term. And all that anyone's talking about now is the worst-case scenario and $150 million and saying, should we be giving the CFL that much money? Well, that's the very worst-case scenario. Yeah. But what they need is $30 million to bridge the gap. It's a medium-sized business, and you know I think the government is helping pretty much every medium-sized to small-sized business, you know, in the country, and they have to because we have to keep the economy alive. And those who say that it shouldn't go towards the entertainment industry, I just I couldn't disagree with that more. My son is a guitar player and singer; he's relying on government assistance to make it through this. Um, you know, we have to support that part of our society um, as well, and that includes bars and restaurants. Those are optional too, but we have to support all these these business owners. And and I think the CFL falls into one of those categories. They employ thousands of Canadians. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't need necessarily these things in our life, but life will be pretty boring without them, right? So I think that's a, a pretty good point to make there as well. Um, uh, the CFL is looking at three scenarios right now. Full stadiums, which I'm assuming won't happen. Uh, fans spread out in order to, uh, you know, have that physical distancing that everyone's talking about in place or potentially empty stadiums. Um, you know, as you look uh, look forward to hopefully a season, I mean, uh, your thoughts, I guess, on, on broadcasting in front of an empty empty stadium. I mean, uh, be a be a bit of a bit of a weird situation, I would think. Yeah, you know, it, it will be, and I think whatever our new normal will become, it will be change. It will be new, and I, you know, it's something that I think throughout this process, people have talked about how nothing will ever be the same. Well, you know, even without a, a global pandemic. The world evolves all the time. The normal from one month to the next changes, and this will be a change as well. I think, though, if we can somehow get to games after September and make it safe, even if we we play the games just for a TV audience, um, I, I would be more than happy to travel to whatever stadium we need to to call the games and to use it as an opportunity to show that Canada is getting back together, we're getting back with friends, even though you won't see people in the stands at that point, 
we'll be able to, through the telecast, you know, just pay homage and, and honor the great medical workers that are, are saving lives and, and working every day to help us. Um, you know, all of that will be possible in the form of a TV show and a live sporting event that we all miss. So I, I think there's a, there's a lot of upside uh, to trying to figure out how we can even play a half a season and the Great Cup, even if there's no fans, just for the television audience. I'm all in if we can, uh, you know, being as safe as we possibly can as the number one priority, but let's try and get it done and let's stay positive. I will. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that we see some football action here in the, you know, sooner than later. Um, that's all we can do, I guess, right now is hope. But I, I hope to hear you on the TV soon, Suits. I really, uh, I really believe that, and, and I really mean that. So, best of luck. Thank you. And uh, one, one more quick, check. one yeah. more quick question. One more quick question. What is the time limit on sweatpants? So, if <laughs> if 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 I'm wearing sweatpants and not working out in them, can I go three, four days? Is that okay? <laughs> well. Let let me ask, are you wearing them to bed too? I mean, I guess that's really the question. <laughs> no, no, I haven't worn them to bed, but hey, we, we got to have a laugh through this too. It's uh, it just to, you know, just to stay together here. So um, yeah, it's sweatpant day every day, but hopefully we can get back to sports. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate the time, Suits. That was Glenn Suter, the voice of the CFL on TSN. Uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing some analysis from hopefully this summer. We all want to see some sports. Uh, well, I don't know, maybe I can't speak for everybody, but I know I want to see some sports, and, and I'm ready for some Canadian football action here as well. Unfortunately, we don't get the Lions training camp coming to Kamloops, but maybe we can still get some action on the television. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and we'll find out a little bit more about some uh, minor renovation work that's going on right now at the Sandman Center. So stick around, and I'll be right back. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks for being with me here on Friday. There is a little bit of work that's currently taking place at the Sandman Center and here to talk about what is happening as the city's Parks and Civic Facilities Manager, Jeff Putnam. So, Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time here. And I just wanted to start uh, by seeing, you know, if you can give us a quick rundown of the work that's currently happening right now at Sandman. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as you know, because of the pandemic, City Council deferred quite a few, probably 75% of our capital projects to next year, but uh, we, stu- we still do have some work to be done this summer, um, and some infrastructure work for re- replacing the heat exchangers so the building is a lot more comfortable for conventions and concerts in the off-season, and that, uh, that's about a $140,000 cost, and we'll be undergoing that fairly soon. We're also doing some roof repairs over the, um, the box office and the main entrance facility. And uh, the big thing is we're moving ahead with sound system improvements. Um, we have some fine-tuning to do there, and uh, that, that will be um, definitely in place prior to the, uh, the next uh, Blazer season. Now, uh, when talking about some of those two, the two major things there that uh, stood out to me were the heating system and then the sound system. I mean, does it make sense for for the city to be moving ahead with that work while, you know, there's really nothing going on at Sandman Center? It seems almost like an opportune time to get that work done. Yeah, exactly. Because if you defer all of the capital projects and defer all of the maintenance for an entire year, it really starts to stack up and it makes it really difficult uh, when things are kind of back to normal. 
And um, so it's great to take the opportunity to do some of the work this summer. Um, and there's much less interruption, with, uh, uh, of course, because there's no, no events happening. So, so our staff are very relieved to be able to have some of that um, work to get uh, completed as well. Uh, what, what I guess is it going to look like in terms, like, is there going to be a, a noticeable change for anyone who walks into the building when I guess the, really the sound system would be the one thing I could think of that you can really see when you're there. I mean, are you going to notice any changes if I were to walk in, uh, you know, come September? Most of the work is done behind the scenes for sure. You will notice the improvement in sound quality at, uh, at Blazer games. Uh, but you will also see, um, the traditionally the visiting WHL teams all come in and out of the main Zamboni entrance at the end of the rink. And that's right. kind of an operational area. So what we're doing is we're removing that because it is a safety concern for all the uh, fans that do sit behind that glass with that door opening and closing mm-hmm. frequently. So we're relocating the the visiting team uh, player entrance to the um, – north side of the building and a little bit closer to the blue line so it'll be much safer for the fans and easier for the uh, visiting players so you that that will be a noticeable difference as well okay so just trying to uh, paint a picture there for myself uh so when you're saying the north side of the building are you going to put another door i guess in the board area then is there going to be a, a whole separate uh you know door that has to be put in place then yeah, that's exactly right. So right around the blue line, uh, kind of facing the, the away bench, um, you'll see an actual a gate where the players okay. come in and out, and there, there'll be a vestibule area. We do have to remove some seats, but uh, we're hoping that won't be a huge impact, but it's something that the, the league has been asking okay. for, and we think it's a, a good move from a player safety standpoint. Yeah, that sounds uh, like it'll be a good thing for visitors, uh, especially the visiting team. I'm sure they don't love uh, walking in and out of where the Zamboni is. Uh, one of the other cool things, though, I mean, it's not going to be overly noticeable, I don't think, to people in the stands, but I'm sure when you're on the ice playing, you'll notice it, and that's the change in nets. You guys got some new netting as well. Uh, a little bit more space now behind the nets as a result. Yeah, that's uh, something I just learned this week is we're, the CHL is moving to NHL size nets, which makes it basically the depth of the, the net between the back of the net and the boards is another four inches of room. So I think some of the skilled players that we've got here in Kamloops, I think it's going to be a huge benefit for them. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, maybe there are a couple more opportunities for some of those uh, lacrosse-style goals or the Michigan goals, whatever people call them these days. <laughs> yeah, right that's on. right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the time, Jeff. Really, you do appreciate it, and uh, have yourself a great weekend. Okay, take care. All right, that was Jeff Putnam, the Parks and Civic Facilities Manager for the City of Kamloops. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. So first and foremost, I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and have yourself a fantastic weekend. Although, it looks like it might get a little bit wet.